Hey everybody, good morning and uh, welcome to Christ Community Chapel. Really, really glad that you're here. Welcome those of you over in East Hall and those of you tuning in. Uh, welcome. All right, one week until Easter weekend. And like Stacey and Val said, that it, there's, this week is traditionally called Holy Week. It is also called the Week of the Passion of Jesus. And so there are all kinds of things that are happening here at church. We want you to take advantage of as many as you can. And there are a couple of reasons for that. If you're a Christian, uh, these things are designed to help prepare you to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus next weekend. And if you're not a Christian, these things will give you a peek into the very heart of Christianity. Because it's Easter weekend that sets Christianity apart from all other religions. That's what I mean. Every other religion is based on teaching. The teaching of Buddha, the teaching of Confucius, the teaching of Muhammad in the Quran. But the foundation of Christianity is not teaching. The foundation of Christianity is an event that happened in history, the death and resurrection of Jesus. If there is no death and resurrection of Jesus, there is no Christianity, which is why for us, Easter is like our Super Bowl. So we are waiting breathlessly for next weekend. We can't hardly wait. Now, I want you to know the week after Easter, we begin a new series, and we're going to try to do something we have never done before. We're going to ask you and your friends and your neighbors and your family and your colleagues and your classmates to help us pick what to talk about the four weeks right after Easter. We're calling this series, That's a Great Question. And what we want to do is answer some of or explain some of the questions that people have about Christianity. You should have gotten one of these cards on the way in, and if you didn't, there are cards out in the atrium. And it just says question on it. And we gave you a, a sample of some of the questions that people have about Christianity. Now, there's three on the back of the card. One is about suffering. If God is loving and powerful, then why do bad things happen? Why do we suffer? There's one about exclusivity. Does Christianity teach that all other religions are wrong? And there's one about hell. How can a loving God send people to hell? Good questions. And this is where, what we want you to do. Uh, we have a website that we created called thatsagreatquestion.org. I want you to go there and vote. There are a list of questions, and I want you to vote for the question that you most want to have explained. But we don't just want our congregation to vote. We want a bunch of people to vote. So we want you to spread this all over your social media. We want you to grab cards, take them to work or to school. We want to say there are posters out there. We want everybody that we can uh, get to respond to these questions because we want to know the questions that people want answered about Christianity. All right? So uh, the website is up and running so you can vote this week. So make sure you do. It's going to be fun. All right? Great. That's the week after Easter. Right now, we are uh, in a series called Only Jesus. We've been looking at some of the things that are uniquely Jesus that Jesus offers. We talked about how G only Jesus offers joy, and then only Jesus offers life, and then only Jesus offers light and sight, and only Jesus is your true shepherd. And then last week, only Jesus offers hope. This week, we're going to look at how only Jesus offers a home. Only Jesus offers a home. 
And all these messages are taken out of the Gospel of John. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to the Gospel of John to the 14th chapter. And if uh, you don't have your Bible, you can look it up on our app or you can wait for it to appear on the bottom third of your screen. But before I read the first six verses of John chapter 14, I want to give you some context because sometimes context answers the why question. Why are we getting this instruction right now? Uh, my wife Karen and I went down to Texas last week to visit our daughter Becca. And Becca and I did a triathlon together. It was one of those triathlons where you swim further than you should ever have to swim. And then you ride a bicycle further than you should ever ride a bicycle. And then you run, or in my case, you limp further than you should ever have to limp. Right? And the, the, the day before that race, uh, they had these mandatory meetings all day long. And uh, there were like 4,000 people doing this race, and you had to go to one of those meetings, which is why they call them mandatory meetings. But you had to go because in that meeting, you received instructions about what to do if there was severe weather. Now, it wasn't a surprise to any of us because we'd been feverishly checking our phones, and we realized that the forecast for race day was terrible. So when the guy began to explain what we should do if those severe thunderstorms hit. We were ready to listen. By John chapter 14, the disciples are ready to listen because they can feel that there's a storm coming. They, Jesus, the previous Sunday, had gone into Jerusalem riding on a donkey and people went nuts. I mean, they cut off palm branches and spread them on the ground, hence Palm Sunday. And they shouted, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Right? And it was really a heady experience for all the disciples, but they also felt like there was a fuse that had been lit. Because when Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey and people shouted, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Jesus was making a statement and it was a statement that not everybody was happy with. In fact, the people who are the most unhappy were also the most powerful. And that's never a good thing. And then there was the weirdness of the Passover meal. That right in the middle of the meal, Judah stands up and he runs out. And that had never happened before. And then things just got stranger when Jesus picked up a cup of wine. And he began to talk about how his blood was going to be poured out. Just poured out like a cup of wine. And if that wasn't strange enough, then Jesus later would wrap a towel around his waist and kneel in front of each one of the disciples and wash their feet one by one until everybody was completely uncomfortable. And Peter tried to stop him, and that led to this confrontation with Peter where Jesus says to Peter, even Peter, before this night is out, you're going to deny you even know me. And you're not going to just do it once. You're going to do it three times. To say that the disciples are nervous is a gross understatement. They had a sense of dread because they could see the storm was going to be strong enough where they doubted, they wondered if every one of them would make it even through that night. I don't know if you've ever felt like that. I don't know if your life has ever been 
balancing on a razor's edge where you feel like one more gust, if one more thing goes wrong, then your whole life's going to come down like a house of cards. I don't know if you've ever seen a storm coming on the horizon that you know you cannot stop. And you're just hoping that after the storm, there'll be pieces that you can pick up. I would suppose in a crowd this size, there have to be people that are going through a storm. And there have to be some of us that see a storm on the horizon that we cannot stop. And into that howling storm, Jesus says to his disciples, and Jesus says to you and to me, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This is God's word. And it's true. Jesus says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. And the disciples were ready to listen. But out of all the things that Jesus could have said to them as this storm gathered, Jesus tells them about home. Not a shelter in the time of storm. He talks to them about home. Three things I want to bring out this morning from this passage. I want to talk about the search for home. I want to talk about the price of home. And I want to talk about the promise of home. The search for home, the price of home, and the promise of home. First, the search for home. Every human being needs a place. Uh, Every human being is hardwired for a home, which is why homelessness is such a terrible thing. I mean, we we see somebody who's homeless, we know that's not the way a human being should be. We were made to have homes. And that goes all the way back to the beginning of creation. In the book of Genesis, when God creates all that is, he creates every living creature, and he says to all the other creatures, go wherever you want. The birds of the air, the beasts of the field, the fish of the sea. God's instruction to them was multiply, fill the earth, Go everywhere. Go anywhere. But when he gets to Adam and Eve, God creates a place for them. He creates the Garden of Eden, which is their home. And so when Adam and Eve go anywhere in the world, and they were able to go wherever they wanted to go, they would always have a place to come back to. They would have a home to return to. I don't know if you've ever... uh, seen a pregnant woman preparing for a child. Right? Uh, there, it's not uncommon for a woman to get a burst of energy in the last trimester. Right? They, and, and when she gets that burst of energy, ju- just watch out. They even have a word for it. They call it nesting. Right? I call it crazy. 
Because when it hits, uh, you'll have walls will get painted and cribs will get put together and closets will be organized and places will be cleaned that haven't been cleaned any time, right? And I call it crazy for a couple of reasons. One, I didn't get that burst of energy the way my wife did. And it seems like I should have because I was along for that ride. But the other thing is I, I always wanted to tell my wife, listen, there's no deadline. Don't worry about it. Baby's not going to know if the walls weren't painted. The baby's not going to know if the crib's not put together. It's, relax. But my wife couldn't because she wanted to bring a baby home. Our, it was one of the ways that she would love our kids before they were them. And she wanted to create for them a home that she could bring them to. Because a home is supposed to be a place where you are expected, where you are wanted, where you are loved, and where you are safe. And even as I say those things, even as I say, as I say that home is to be a place where you are expected and wanted and loved and safe, there are some of you who feel a lump in your throat and tears behind your eyes because the home you came from, or even worse, the home you're in now is anything but those things. But here's the thing. You know it should be. Deep down, you know a home should be those things. And there may be nothing you want more than that kind of home. Now, if you're here and you're not a Christian, let me explain to you why the Bible says that we have that longing for home, why we are searching for home. So in the beginning, in Genesis, God nests, right? He creates the Garden of Eden. It's one of the ways that he began to love Adam and Eve before they were them. And he places them in the Garden of Eden, and they have a place where they are expected and wanted and loved and safe. And then... After a while, Adam and Eve decide to rebel against God, and one of the results of that rebellion is that they lose Eden. Right? They lose their home, and we have been looking for home ever since. So what's interesting is here, when a storm is about to hit the disciples, out of all the things that Jesus could have said about the storm or about anything, Jesus begins to talk to them about the home they were made for about their true home. Now, when I say that, the home they were made for, or their true home, I say that because all of us as human beings, we have a, a restlessness. Restlessness is endemic to the human condition. That's what I mean. It, I don't know if you've ever really looked forward to a vacation, where you've just been going, man, I just can't wait for this vacation where the family's going to go. And then the vacation is exactly what you hoped it would be. Everybody gets along. The weather's perfect. The whole vacation is just wonderful. And at the, towards the end of vacation, you start to feel that twinge of sadness. And the sadness isn't just about going back to work. The sadness is that vacation felt like just a few drops of something that you thirst for. And that's the way our whole lives are, it seems like. There's always this restlessness. We finally get the the car we always wanted, or the job we always wanted, or the house, we all, or even the, the family we always wanted. And just after a while, there's still this restlessness, 
C.S. Lewis described it like this. He says, the reason the best marriages, the reason the best careers, the best earthly joys leave us restless is because our Father refreshes us on the journey with some pleasant inns, but will not encourage us to mistake them for home. There is always a longing. And then there are the storms that remind us that we are not in our true home. Because when we experience the conflicts and the disappointments and the pains and the loss that go with our lives, we are reminded that we're not home. And when I, at the triathlon, the storm they warned us about finally hit, and it was chaotic, and people were all over the place. And I remember I was walking around in the wind and the rain, soaked to the bone, exhausted. And I realized that I wasn't just looking for a place at that moment. I was looking for a person. I was looking for my wife, Karen. And it hit me that, a, that home, what I really long for is both a place and a person. Because home is supposed to be a place where everything kind of fits, where the sights and the sounds and the smells are all the sights and sounds and smells that you want. And when you walk in, the people that are there are the people that you delight in and that delight in you. And you walk in and they say, there you are. And they wrap a towel around you if you're wet and they sit you down and they give you something hot to drink. And they say, relax, rest, you're home. Every home you have ever had, every home you have ever been in is just a faint glimmer, glimpse of your true home. It's like a faint echo of the home you were made for, which is why we all are searching for a home. That brings me to the second thing, the price of home. Look at verses four through six. It's what Jesus says. And you know the way to where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I like Thomas. Thomas is the disciple that, uh, that says the things the other disciples are thinking, but don't have the guts to say. That's why I love him. But he says, oh, he's, he's listening to Jesus describe this home, and it sounds wonderful. And Thomas says, okay, I'm in. Where do we go? How do we get there? Right? Can we get there before the storm hits? And Jesus says, you know the way. And Thomas says, no, I don't know the way. And Jesus says, yes, you do. Because you know me. And I'm the way. You know me and I'm the way. I remember uh, hearing a, the story of a dad who was out uh, with his infant son. And he was walking him in a stroller. And then the raindrops began to fall. And he realized that a rainstorm was coming. And he, uh, he unbuckled his son and he pulled his son out of the stroller and he unzipped his coat and he put his son in the coat and zipped it up all the way to his head and he hunched over. So as the rain started to pelt down that all the rain would fall on him and none of it would touch his son. And the whole time as he walked back, he was, he was saying to his son, it's okay, buddy, I got you. It's okay, I'm gonna get us home. It's okay. This is John chapter 14. This is late Thursday night. 
By nine o'clock the next morning, Jesus will be hanging on a cross. What Thomas doesn't realize is the storm has already arrived for Jesus. And Jesus is tucking the disciples in and he's hunching over them so the harshest part of the storm never touches them. And he's saying to them, it's okay. I got you. It's okay. I'm going to get you home. I read a book called uh, Deep Survival. It was a book um, about why certain people survive and certain people don't in extreme conditions. And one of the chapters was about uh, people who get lost in the deep wilderness. And the author said that uh, there's something that happens that's pretty peculiar. When people get lost in the deep wilderness, they, they sometimes will, will have a map and they'll look at the map and then they'll, they'll look at their surroundings and they'll try to get the map to conform to their surroundings instead of their surroundings conforming to the map. And what he said was they'll, they'll look and they'll say, okay, if I'm here, I need to go this way. That means that there's a lake over here and they look and there's no lake. But instead of going back to the map and going, that means I'm not where I think I was. I don't know where I am. They will look and they'll say, well, well, maybe that lake dried up. Yeah, that's what happened. The lake dried up, so I'm going to go this way. And they get more lost. They call it bending the map. Now, the author said the reason that they do something that's so ridiculous is because to admit that they are really lost would be so terrifying that it would be almost debilitating to realize that you don't know where to go and you don't know how to get home. And I think people are bending the map all the time. I think that's why we stay so busy. I think it's why people throw themselves into their careers, into their families. It's why we, we stay busy with hobbies, why we watch stuff all the time or we listen to stuff all the time. Because if we wait for silence, even just a little bit of silence, we begin to get that, that fear that we don't know really where we are. We don't know where to go. We don't know how to get home. Jesus, as the storm is starting to build, tells Thomas, you have no idea where you are. You have no idea where to go. You have no idea how to get home. But you know me. And I will get you home. I will get you home. Jesus goes to the cross, not just to pay for your sins, but to pay the price for you to get home, which is just astounding. And that brings me to the promise of home. The promise of home. N.T. Wright uh, wrote a book uh, called Simply Christian. And in his book, he says that, um, that Christians have... Uh, a mistaken view of what heaven is. He says most of us as Christians, we think of heaven as someplace up there. And N.T. Wright says that, that's just not correct. That heaven is actually where God dwells. It's not heaven unless God's there, and it's only heaven because God dwells there. So at the Garden of Eden, the Garden of Eden was actually heaven on earth because God dwelt there. And at the book of Revelation, when God descends to the earth again, heaven and earth will meet because God will make his dwelling here. Verse 3, 
Jesus says this, And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. You see what Jesus is saying? Jesus is telling Thomas, I'm not just going to prepare a place for you. I'm going to come and I'm going to take you there, that where I am, you may be, because that's what will make it home for you. Because I want you to experience what I experience. I want you to enjoy what I enjoy. I want you to have what I have. Later on that night, Jesus will be praying to God the Father. And the disciples overhear him praying. And this is in chapter 17. This is what Jesus says. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you have loved me. That last part is breathtaking. It's stunning. Jesus prays to God the Father, the love that you have for me, this is my prayer, I want you to show them that same love. I want them to experience that same love. This is the love that fires the sun. This is the love that, that God has poured out on Jesus since time before time. It's like the Niagara Falls just dying, just cascading into Jesus. There are times in the New Testament where it's like God the Father can't hold back anymore, and he shouts out. So it sounds like thunder. He says, this is my son whom I love. This is my son in whom I am well pleased. You can imagine having a child wander into your home and you deciding, you know what, I will love you with the same love I love my own son. That's what Jesus says. Jesus is saying, when I bring you home, you will experience what I experience. You will enjoy what I enjoy. You will have what I have. Here's the question. What do you really want? What is it that you long for? Jesus, when a storm is gathering around the disciples, a storm that is going to be so strong they're not even sure they're going to make it through the night, a storm that is a lot like maybe the storm you are in, out of all the things that Jesus could have talked about, he talks to them about home. He says, you've been looking for this your whole life. You've been longing for a place where you are expected, where you are wanted, where you are loved, where you are safe, where you can finally be you. And Jesus says, you know the way. And you say, I don't know the way. And Jesus says, if you know me, you know the way. And of course, then the question is, do you know Jesus? Do you know Jesus? I mean, if what I say is true, if it rings true inside of you, where inside of you, you know you have longed for a home. You know that there's nothing that has given you satisfaction. There is always a restlessness. If what Jesus says is true and you feel the storm, and the question is, do you know Jesus? Because Jesus says, if you know me, you know the way home. And the way you know Jesus is to open yourself up and say, Jesus, I believe. 
I believe in you. I believe that when you went to the cross, you, not, you didn't just pay for my sin, but you paid the price for me to get home. I want you. And if you do that, then Jesus says, do not let your heart be troubled. Neither let it be afraid. Because only Jesus offers you home. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, uh, we come to you, and uh, I am amazed. I mean, I, I think about the different storms that I've been through, and they just remind me that I am not in my true home. Reminds me what I long for. But the storm that was above all storms, you have shielded us from, and you took it on yourself. And you did that not just to pay for our sin, but also to pay the price for us to get home. I pray that every single one of us will recognize what it means that you have not only prepared a place for us to have what you have, to enjoy what you enjoy, to experience what you experience, but also you have given us a way to get there because you've given us yourself. Thanks for your grace. Thanks for your sacrifice on the cross and the power of your resurrection. And we look forward to home. We pray this in your blessed name. Amen.